You're busy and you want the best for your kids. We're here to help. This is Hope and Will, a parenting podcast from Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. On today's episode, we're going to cover a topic we haven't yet explored on this podcast, autism spectrum disorder. I have the honor of being joined by special guests who very recently published groundbreaking news, the culmination of more than 20 years worth of research that stands to transform how and when autism is diagnosed in many kids. Doctors Ami Klin and Warren Jones, two leaders from Marcus Autism Center who are internationally recognized for their thought leadership in the world of autism, developed and tested a social eye tracking technology right here in Georgia that helps clinicians diagnose autism by measuring a child's looking behavior. They'll help us understand what this new technology means for families, as well as why early diagnosis is so important for kids with autism. To kick things off, we'll hear from Renee Britt, a mom whose son participated in the research and was diagnosed with autism at age three. By the end of this episode, you'll have a better understanding of what autism is, the types of behaviors parents should watch for if they suspect their child might have autism, and how this newly published research and related diagnostic tool recently cleared by the FDA stands to help diagnose more kids at a younger age and ultimately lead to better outcomes for children with autism. It is my pleasure to welcome Dr. Ami Klin and Dr. Warren Jones, along with Renee Britt, to the show. Renee, I want to start with you because there's no better way to set the stage for how transformational this newly published research is than to hear from somebody who walked the path of seeking a diagnosis with their own child. You got to know the team at Marcus Autism Center after mom tuition told you something just wasn't right with your son. Tell us about that. First, let me start with I'm a mom of multiple kiddos. So we have our oldest, she's 16 now, and then we have awesome Dawson, he is 12, and then we have a two-year-old. So at the time, I'd already had a daughter, and so I knew what to expect. And when we hit two with Dawson, things just changed. He lost all of his words. We went to the pediatrician and asked, hey, we're just seeing some things. When we call his name, he will run and hide, he doesn't come. And she was like, oh, well, that's cute. And I'm like, yeah, but he does it every time. And She's like, we'll keep an eye on that. And I'm like, okay, we lost words. We're not talking. And that has me concerned. Oh, okay, let's just keep an eye on. And that was what we kept hearing. Or my favorite was, he's a boy. It's different with boys. And so that mom tuition kept up. And when he was around two and a half, a sweet friend told us about Babies Can't Wait. So we signed up for that. And he aged out in three months from that program. But what a blessing because we were able to retain the same speech therapist. And she's actually the one who said, you know what, there may be more than just some delays. You may want to do more. So that was really the stepping stone for us of, okay, what do we do next? Let's try and find someone who can help us. And that is really what led us to the Marcus Autism Center. We had no idea they even existed. We lived in a suburb in Atlanta and we were just unaware. At that point, autism really hadn't touched our lives greatly. And a friend, again, it was social media, really stepped up and was like, hey, have you heard of this? They may have something. At that point, we'd already contacted several specialists. We'd not heard back from one and others were saying six months wait list. Oh, your insurance won't cover it. So it was no after no, closed door after closed door. And so we're like, all right, Marcus Autism Center, let's try it. 
And lo and behold, we got a call back. They had an opening. It was with a study. The sweet voice on the phone told me about this. It was at the beginning stages of it where he would watch a video and they were going to track his eyes with a, a video and they were going to be able to tell a little bit more about him and other kids like him who might be struggling. One of those things that you just pointed it out, you didn't even know that this center existed. And that's why we do this podcast. We want people to understand what resources are out there. And it's this eye tracking research that you're referring to that Dawson participated in. Tell me what it was like. What, what did he actually do? His was the beginning stages of it. So he actually sat in a seat and watched a video. It was a large monitor that he watched. And it was a video of kids playing and the sounds you heard were what you would hear at a park. But they tracked where his eyes were looking and they ended up showing us what his eyes were looking at. And it was very sporadic compared to a typical child. When they told us afterwards, after they did their assessment of Dawson, and that took about two hours, he does have autism. And so when they were able to show us how he looked at the world compared to like a typical kid, I have no idea how he sees the world. But that gave me a glimpse into mm -hmm. his world. As a mom, you all you want to know is what they're feeling. All you want to know is to be able to help them navigate the world, right? And so how did it feel once you finally had that information? We called it a diagnosis, but this is really the information that helped you to help Dawson. I always say that the white notebook that Marcus Autism Center gave me filled with papers and resources was the best and the heaviest and the most relieving notebook I've ever held. So in so many ways, it was like a, a roadmap, like a starting point. I just needed a starting point. And it finally gave me that. I wanted to help my baby. I didn't know how. <laughs> we have funny sayings in our house. And so one of the things we talk about is we have tools in the tool belt of life. And at that point, I had a lot of tools. I'm creative. I can love you through anything, but I didn't know how to help him. I didn't know more than loving him well. I didn't know beyond that. Having this was a starting point. Okay, I can do all the things that they're saying and we're going to do them well. And we're going to get him what he needs. But until I had that diagnosis, that paperwork that said, here's what we got to do, I had no idea where to go from there. So getting that starting point was the most important thing in our journey. With that, I now want to hear from you, Dr. Clint and Dr. Jones. In preparation for this conversation, I really enjoyed learning more about both of you, your backgrounds and your passion for kids and families affected by autism. First, Dr. Clint, you're a clinical psychologist and director of Marcus Autism Center. Dr. Jones, you're also a clinical psychologist and the director of research at Marcus Autism Center. And together... You're a formidable duo and internationally celebrated for your work on the social mind and brain and the disruptions caused by autism from infancy through adulthood. Dr. Clint, in our listening audience, we have some parents whose families are directly affected by autism and others who are listening because they want to know more about it, maybe even because they suspect one of their kids may be affected by it. Before we talk more about the research that Renee just described, can you help us understand what autism is? Autism is defined by the fact that children are born with a vulnerability in the way that they both interact with others, understand others, and are able to reciprocally engage others in their daily lives. So it is a genetic trait. 
whether or not that trait becomes a disability, and it can become a devastating disability, really depends on the experiences that children have in the first three years of life. It is a spectrum. There are those who are very challenged and will have cognitive and language disabilities, and there are those who do not. And those differences are important for us at a clinical level because the kinds of interventions that we need to provide to those children need to address an individual child's needs while also building on the child's assets. Our goal is to ensure that child will fulfill her promise. In order for us to do that, however, we need to identify early and we need to intervene early. You are changing the world for so many of these children and their parents. Dr. Clint, I want to understand a little bit better what this study was that Renee and and Dawson experienced. How does it work that you're able to see precisely how Dawson sees the world so differently? Renee got it quite right. Our role is to try and see the world through the eyes of our children. And in this way, have measurements of the way that they understand the world or the challenges that they have in navigating the demands of everyday social life. What Renee described is really a very universal experience by parents all over the country. She called it a journey. We call it an odyssey. And what we want to achieve is that the parents should not go to bed at night with the kinds of thoughts that Renee had going unanswered. We know that we can intervene early and this can change outcomes for children for the rest of their lives. So we cannot miss that opportunity. Ms. Britt spoke exactly to the need and to the point of all this work, which is getting parents answers when they need them trying to make early diagnosis as accessible as possible to all families so that when a mom or a dad is worried, when they have questions about development, they can get answers and they can get the help for the next steps. Renee, as you mentioned, it's that white notebook that they handed you that was like this roadmap that you've been searching for. Can you tell me what's in that notebook, how it's changed year and Dawson's life? So that notebook is really just the visual of here's the diagnosis, here's some resources, here are some next steps that might really help you. Each child is different. What Dawson may experience may not be what the kiddo next to him in class is experiencing. So you have to figure out what what works best. Dawson went to ABA-based therapy for two years. It was an ABA-based school and that helped him tremendously. We were able to then go into the public school system and utilize all of those resources. And that was, I think, the biggest takeaway we got from Marcus Autism Center, from the doctor that we worked with, Dr. Richardson. Her big thing was just work on the very next thing. And so we took that to heart. And the next step for us was, okay, we got to find a school that can really help us. And the school that we found was kind enough to let me come and learn what they were doing in class. And I was able to to replicate to the best of my ability at home across all of his day was the same work. But it was life at the same time. Try and make everything fun. Okay, we're going to go to the bathtub and use a water bottle and knock down these little duckies because we got to work on hand strength, buddy. He doesn't know that. I'm making it fun because they do that at school. 
okay, let's do it at home. It's been nine years and we're still just doing the very next step. So a lot of us typically developing peers would just see what another friend is doing and copy that or interact with that. But Dawson doesn't have that same ability. He has to be shown how to interact with a peer. And so that ABA therapy really just instructed him how to do that. That was a big helping platform and start for us with him when he was just at that time really had no idea how to interact with his sister very well, his family. He just wanted to do what he wanted to do and that was it. And so this ABA therapy-based school helped him to be side-by-side with someone and play and not be overwhelmed. It was an amazing start to his journey. And you have steps to follow. And that's what's so beautiful about what the doctors here have enabled many parents to, to be able to do. Dr. Jones, you know, I'm curious, for a lot of parents that might be listening, they might have that same mom tuition that Renee described. There's some, And you point out how important it is to diagnose this as early as possible. What are some of the things parents should be looking for? And when do you know that it's the right time to go somewhere like Marcus Autism Center? Children with autism can thrive at any age. And there are things that can be done to support the learning and development and unique learning styles of children with autism at any age. We talk about the importance of early intervention because the brain is more plastic at early ages. It's more able to learn. It's a little bit like learning a foreign language. You can learn a foreign language at any age, but it is a little bit easier if we start early. So too, it's early to put in place some of those supports that makes most challenging behaviors less likely to arise because a lot of those challenging behaviors arise in autism if a child has struggles to communicate, just like any child. If they can't communicate their needs and wants, then there can be a lot of challenging behaviors. And so those are the reasons why we've really tried to focus on early intervention, early identification to put those supports in place. Clinically, then we really want to follow exactly the model that Renee talked about. It's extraordinary support that she was able to deliver in creating those contacts. As far as a parent's experience when they have those first concerns, Pediatricians are a good place to start. There's information on our website and on the CDC website about Learn the Signs, Act Early. If you just search in Google for Learn the Signs, Act Early, the CDC website comes up with a lot of good information about early signs that can be concerning for emergence of autism or other developmental delays or disabilities that might give a parent concerns to seek out some additional help at Marcus Autism Center or another community provider. We also run both the studies that Renee talked about as well as clinical referrals. Another important concern that some families may not know as much about is if there is a child in the family already diagnosed with autism or a relative diagnosed with autism, that can cause some increased family likelihood for another child to also have autism. And sometimes pediatricians and family members may not be aware of that. So if one child in the family is diagnosed or if there's a niece or nephew who has autism, that can be another reason to be keeping a close eye on early development and seeking out some of those resources. Yeah. And I want to learn more about Marcus Autism Center because, of course, we know that it is associated with Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. It's well respected for its work with kids with autism. But can you tell us more about the way that you contribute to the research piece of this. Marcus Autism Center is one, if not the largest center of clinical care for kids with autism and their families in the country and in the world. Warren mentioned the fact that we accompany younger siblings of children with autism 
one to two in every five of those younger siblings may also have autism. And so we prioritize the study of those children. We also have a very large program of clinical trials. When things don't go so well and the children with autism have intellectual disabilities, they may also show severe behavior challenges that can keep families in a state of siege and isolate the children from their peers. We have the largest program of research in this area. A lot of children with autism have feeding concerns. And when a child has an eating problem, it paralyzes the family. We also have very likely the largest program of research and clinical care in this domain. And we also work very closely with our community partners. And because in autism, we have very stark healthcare disparities and our goal is to be able to state that the children that we don't see are as important as the children that we do see. We work very closely with the community to build capacity, workforce training, to enable the partners that we have out there in the community to serve families when they need them and where they are. It's amazing because Renee spoke about how challenging it was just to get an appointment or even to be able to afford it because insurance wasn't going to cover it. The name Marcus, let's talk about that. I know it very well, having spent so much time in Atlanta for so long. What relationship does Bernie Marcus have with the Marcus Autism Center? In many different ways, the achievements that we are talking about today are truly Bernie's vision. Bernie built the center back in 1991. And for all of those years, he has made tremendous investments in increasing our capacity to see families and also science-based solutions at levels of millions and millions of dollars over the course of those 30 so years. And Bernie was very much involved in this vision of leveraging our very best science to create a tool that would address the needs, not only in our community, but all over the world. Bernie has been at the forefront of our mission. And this device in many different ways is the embodiment of that accomplishment. And Dr. Jones, we're also here because of some very important and truly transformational research that's been published. So you had two articles published in JAMA, that's the Journal of American Medical Association, and the JAMA Network Open. Can you help us understand what went into the research and what the process looked like from the early stages to the later stages? Absolutely. So this is, these two papers that were just published are really the culmination of more than 20 years worth of research that actually started first working with adults with autism and then continued downward and downward to develop the kind of technology that Renee described at the beginning to be used for early identification. The two papers that were published actually spanned three studies, more than 1,500 children who were tested. These are works that have now been vetted for peer review, but also resulted in an FDA-cleared technology. If you, through the incredible hard work that Renee did, get to expert clinicians, you can get a great diagnostic service. But for families who don't manage to get to that, we want to make that same quality of care and that same quality of clinical information available. And so that meant testing many hundreds and thousands of children to develop the technology. How well do these eye tracking based measures predict the diagnosis that a clinician would give? And then also how well can these measures actually proxy the results of hours long developmental assessments 
to measure each child's level of social disability, as well as the child's verbal and nonverbal cognitive skills. The goal is not to replace expert clinicians, but rather to make the process of giving parents answers far more efficient, far more streamlined, and actually to give clinicians highly quantitative, objective measurements that can help guide them as well. Right now, the assessments can take multiple hours. Renee with Dawson went through that process as well. It's not an easy process. For a lot of children, it's very hard to endure those tests. It can take multiple days, actually, to get that information back to a family. And it doesn't require them to actually be at Marcus Autism Center. That's what was so key, is you wanted this to be available nationally and internationally. And it culminated into this tool. It's called Early Point Evaluation, and it's also referred to as the Marcus Test. And it recently received FDA clearance for the second generation of the device. So, Dr. Kling, can you tell us more about the actual tool and how it's being used? Imagine that this is a tablet. Uh, So a child comes into the room and uh, sits in a little chair or sometimes in the caregiver's lap and watches videos for about 6 to 12 minutes, as Renee described, videos of children playing and interacting, same age. That is the procedure. And then anything between 10 and 20 minutes later, there is a clinical report that is issued to the clinician's portal that provide the clinician with this science-based quantitative information about where is the child in the spectrum of autism, the level of social disability, as well as the child's language skills and the child's nonverbal learning skills. The fact that this tablet can be operated even remotely, it means that we now can have the solution anywhere there is internet connectivity. And it is hard to get services even in urban places, but in rural areas, the challenges are even greater. And so our goal was to create a solution that will proxy high quality diagnosis executed by expert clinicians, make that available to all children. So the way the typically developing children watch those videotapes of their peers playing and interacting is they are going to focus moment by moment on the most important things in those scenes. And in order to understand others, we spend a lot of time looking at people's eyes, looking at people's facial gestures, looking at the nonverbal gestures that they use to communicate their feelings, their wishes. And uh, in this way, they are able to, to understand what are the intentions of the children, why they are doing what they are doing. And the signs for that are in the face, they are in our gestures, and they are in the way that we act towards other people. So that's what typically developing children do. And in our research, we've been able to show that when typically developing children are watching those videotapes of other children interacting, they spend about 80% of the time looking at the same place at the same time, because this is where the action is going on. This is what they need to attend to in order to learn the meaning of the behavior of others. Dr. Jones, this is a second generation device. So what changed from the first generation? The big transformation from the first generation that was tested at sites across the country to show effectiveness and then submitted to FDA for clearance 
was large from the first experiences that Renee had where we were filling a whole room and Dawson sat in a chair and there are computers behind a wall and other screens. The next generation was then that in a refrigerator size box. Um, so it was mobile, but it weighed about three to 400 pounds. And so it wasn't mobile enough. And then on to a tablet-based version, as Ami was just describing. So always trying to make it smaller, easier to use, more accessible, able to be more places so that it could reach more children. So the major shift is really making it smaller and easier to use so that we can deliver this technology to more places and more parents that may be in need. Renee, for those listening who may not have a child with autism, but share a community or a classroom with a child with autism, how can we best support parents like you and kids like Dawson? When Dawson was like five, we were working on social skills really hard. And so we would go to Target. And that was one of the suggestions we got was working on social skills in places that we could give him an immediate reward. And so we'd go to Target and there'd be days where he would meltdown and people would stare and point. And it was hard because I'm trying to teach my kiddo how to be okay in social situations. And then there are people who don't understand. I had one lady who was like, do you want me to push your cart for you? <laughs> and in that moment, I was like, yes, thank you. <laughs> and that's all it took. She didn't know what to do to help, but she knew that I needed help. And so she was like, I can do this. Or I loved when, and I think it was in kindergarten, Dawson made a friend and it was a typical peer who just every time Dawson was in the class, he always asked, can I sit next to Dawson? And and so the teacher would say yes, because then that was like a friendship that they made. Was it like a, a typical friendship? No, I, I assume it wasn't. But what an awesome way to show grace and kindness to someone who really struggles. When the biggest piece of advice I would give, if you don't have anybody in your life with a special need and you really don't know what to do a little do that little bit of kindness, push the carts, or just try. And that seems so simple, but there are so many people that would rather stay far away than to try. And let me tell you, being in the bunkers, loving on Dawson, man, it's the biggest joy and blessing of our lives as a family. I think we can all take that advice in life in general. <laughs> and finally, how is Dawson? How's he doing now, nine years into this journey? We call him the mayor of everywhere we go. He really is. Now that we're nine years in, we've done a lot of therapy, a lot of work, but now we're able to do things like go to festivals. Now, he may not be able to last the whole time. His sister was being announced on her high school team. The music was on and he was dancing. And then after a little bit of time, it got too much for him. But now he's able to advocate for himself and say, it's too loud. Can we walk? That's life-changing for us now because before it would have been a complete meltdown. And now he's able to advocate in those ways. Hey, this is too much for me. I'm not having fun anymore. And it's really loud. And so, okay, we'll walk around. We went to a restaurant last night for our family birthdays and he sat for an hour. He ordered his own food. And so it's been amazing. The transformation for our family, for him, he's so happy. He's thriving at school, he just got an honor for being so well-mannered. <laughs> if you had asked me nine years ago, I'd have been like, I'm hopeful. But now we're seeing them come to fruition with all of that work. But again, every time that first step, I needed the map. I needed the roadmap. I needed the diagnosis. I needed Marcus Autism Center. 
and the doctors that we have had the honor of speaking to. I know both of you are smiling ear to ear because I'm sure this is the exact reason of why you do this work. I must say that Renes fought and worries and concerns and those of many mothers like her have given us the impetus to persevere. There are many thousands of mothers who are going through this experience as we speak. Every year in the United States, there are 95,000 children who are born who will have autism. And their journey and their parents' journey can now be different. Dr. Clinton and Dr. Jones, thank you for the important, wonderful work you're doing. And Renee, for just being a great mama to awesome Dawson. <laughs> Thanks for being with us. If you're enjoying our podcast and know someone who might also benefit from our stories and insights, please help us spread the word. For more information about this episode, visit choa.org slash podcasts, where we're gonna link more content about the groundbreaking research discussed today, early warning signs of autism, current opportunities to participate in research, and more about Marcus Autism Center. To hear more impactful stories from the people who walk children's halls, be sure to subscribe or follow Hope and Will wherever you stream your podcast. I'm Lynn Smith, and this has been Hope and Will, a parenting podcast from Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. This podcast is for general informational and educational purposes only. It is not to be considered medical advice for any particular patient. Clinicians must rely on their own informed clinical judgments when making recommendations for their patients. Patients in need of medical or behavioral advice should consult their family health care providers.